This is Barry Zelma, Zelma on insurance. I am an attorney who has retired from the practice of law and now spend my time as an insurance claims consultant or expert witness, an author and producer of these videos. Today I'd like to talk about third-party liability fraud and specifically the staged loss. Some losses some claims, some accidents are fictions, fictions created for the sole purpose of presenting a claim like those engaged in by crooked attorneys that are described in detail in my book, Insurance Fraud, Volume 1. The number of variations on the types of staged losses are limited only by the imagination of the insurance criminals. Some of the variations we'll discuss today. In autos, the staged theft is sometimes used as an instant means of quick profit and a way to avoid paying um, mortgages on the vehicle or the on a leased vehicle paying the extra cost because you went over the uh, minimum mileage allowed by the contract. A stage theft occurs when the owner contracts with an intermediary to dispose of a vehicle. The owner specifically gives up the vehicle and then reports it to the insurer as stolen. The person to whom the vehicle is given up will pass it to a salvor who breaks it up into its component parts and sells the parts, the so-called chop shop, or will package it up and deliver it overseas and sell in China or some other foreign country. The stage theft is difficult to detect unless the perpetrator is sloppy, aggressive, or forgets his prepared script as to the facts of the loss. For example, in United States of America versus Rocky Glenn Beasley, a 2011 decision of the Fifth Circuit, Rocky was convicted by a jury of wire fraud and conspiracy to commit wire fraud. He was sentenced to one year and one day of imprisonment and a two-year term of supervised release. Beasley's convictions stem from the stage theft of his Ford 150 pickup truck by Stephen Yates. According to the evidence adduced at trial, Beasley and Yates prearranged the stage theft of Beasley's truck Overwhelming evidence required the conviction to be affirmed. A staged theft of an automobile performed to defraud an insurer is a crime and can be punished in federal and state courts. Rocky Beasley was unfortunate enough to be tried and convicted in federal court, where fraud convictions bear definite sentences. 
Then there is the abandonment attempts. The owner abandons a vehicle on a city street or in a parking lot, creating a morale hazard where the car will usually be stolen. The insured will report the vehicle stolen and attempt to collect from an insurer before the vehicle is recovered. Another type of scheme is dumping, where the owner disposes of a vehicle by dumping it in a lake or other body of water. Cars have been found buried underground, and some lakes have been found to have more than 50 cars underwater. Then there is the fire to avoid lease penalties. Most automobile leases include penalties of $0.10 to $0.15 per mile over a preset limit. I've even seen some very expensive cars with a penalty of $2 per mile on a lease over a preset limit. Upon learning that such charges are considerable, the insured lessee will often take the vehicle to a remote location, set it afire so that it is totally destroyed, and then report it stolen to avoid payment of the excess charges. The Tenth Circuit dealt with such a fraud, where the author testified as an expert. The full text of the opinion in Walker v. Progressive Direct Insurance Company is available in my book, Insurance Fraud, Volume 1. In their appeal, the Walkers complained that Progressive, the insurer, allowed the key issue to be presented to its expert, Barry Zalma, who used that to accuse the Walker of fraud in his 2.25.10 expert report. After considering the party's submissions, the district court concluded that the Walkers could not defeat Progressive's motion for summary judgment because they had failed to explain how they were damaged by Progressive's unreasonable actions, which is a required element of a bad faith claim, and they had further failed to show that Progressive's investigation was unreasonable. As the court explained, Although Progressive did not immediately call Dixie Stampede, where the photos were reasonably reportedly taken to confirm the legitimacy of their Branson photographs, where they allegedly were at the time of the theft, the validity of the pictures by other means could have been established, but were not. With respect to the key issue, the district court stated that the Walker's reliance on Zalma's use of a third key in his expert report is misplaced, as the report was prepared in the course of this litigation and was not part of Progressive's investigation, making it inapplicable to Walker's bad faith claim. Finally, the court explained that although it might have been preferable for Progressive to determine the origin of the third key prior to the deposition of one at the repair shop employees who testified he created the key himself, an insurer's investigation need only be reasonable, not perfect. And therefore, the Court of Appeal affirmed the verdict 
and affirmed the judgment of the trial court, giving summary judgment to the insurer. Sometimes there is violence involved in order to pre prevent or void a prosecution. For those who believe that insurance fraud is not a violent crime, they should read United States v. Rowlett, a 1998 decision of the Eighth Circuit, where the appellant, Mr. Rowlett, was charged with conspiracy to commit murder in aid of a racketeering violation. A jury convicted him of the conspiracy count, although it found him not guilty of the murder count. In reaching its decision, the court found that the jury could have found that the appellant attempted to murder Marlene Holt or conspired with others to murder Marlene Holt and be guilty of violation of the statute even though Holt may not have been murdered. It is not necessary for the government to prove that the conspirators actually succeeded in accomplishing their unlawful plan. On the basis of the evidence, the jury could have found that no murder was committed and acquitted appellant on count two, while at the same time finding him guilty of the conspiracy count to conspire to murder in count one, and these findings would not be inconsistent. Even if the jury findings were inconsistent, appellant is not entitled to a reversal of the judgment on the count on which he was convicted if there is sufficient support in evidence for a finding of guilt. Although the case centered on issues relating to the admission of evidence, the facts show that insurance fraud perpetrators do not limit their criminal activities to defrauding insurers and will even commit murder to avoid arrest or prosecution. There's all kinds of intentional fraud, such as arson for profit, where arson is the intentional burning of property. It, it no longer is limited to specific types of property, although perhaps the most dangerous of all methods of insurance fraud, people continue to attempt insurance fraud by burning their homes, vehicles, and business structures. The FBI, in fact, advises that in 2010, 15,475 law enforcement agencies provided 1 to 12 months of arson data and reported 56,825 arsons. Of the participating agencies, 14,747 provided expanded offense data regarding 48,619 arsons. Arsons involving structures accounted for 45.5% of the total number of arson offenses. The average dollar loss due to arson was $17,612.
Arsons of industrial or manufacturing structures resulted in the highest average dollar losses, an average of $133,717 per arson. And arson offenses decreased 7.6% in 2010 when compared to arson reported in 2009. Nationwide, there were 19.6 arson offenses for every 100,000 inhabitants. However, most of these are not arson for profits. Most arson events are performed for spite or because children were playing with matches. Arson for profit is really an insurance fraud case, and it matters not that the fraud is done by fire, lightning, windstorm, or hail. Whatever fraud there is, it is a crime, it is an intentional crime, and if an insured causes a fire to occur at his or her premises for the purpose of stealing or defrauding an insurer, he or she has committed a felony. This video was adapted from my book, Insurance Fraud, Volume 1, which is available as both a Kindle book and a paperback from Amazon.com. If you found this video to be interesting or useful to you, please refer it to your colleagues. It's free. And please subscribe to my Rumble channel and my YouTube channel and to my blog so that you can learn about future videos and future blog postings. Thank you for your attention.